Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. It is Ryan here, host of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Now, this is a podcast where I get to have conversations with some amazing people from all over the world who have stories to share, experiences we can learn from, and knowledge in areas that we can use and apply to our lives to make us better and happier people. Now, each episode has a different topic, but all geared towards helping us along our own pursuit of happiness and helping us understand this journey we call life just a little better. We'll touch on everything from mental health to nutrition, diet, fitness, travel, adventure, relationships, and believe me, much, much more. All along this journey, I'll experiment and apply some of the advice and information from my conversations to see how it affects me along my own pursuit of happiness and then report back to you. Now, don't forget, if you enjoy this episode or any other episode, please take a moment, subscribe, leave me a rating and review. It is truly, truly appreciated while also helping get these great conversations to even more listeners. So speaking of great conversations, I am very, very excited for you to listen to this episode with Joe Saul Sihai. He's a former financial advisor, an award-winning podcast host of Stacking Benjamins, and an author of the brand new book, Stacked. Now, it's been on my agenda to have someone to talk finances to on an episode, and I really knocked it out of the park with this one. I had a lot of questions for Joe as far as how to set up a 401k and IRA properly and how to make sure you were hitting your targets and goals as far as investing. If you don't even know where to start when it comes to finances, this is an awesome episode for you. I wanted to start with the basics, but we also dive into some details as well. So if you're someone that gets paralyzed or freaked out by finances, don't worry. Joe makes it super easy and actually quite fun. So this is an episode you don't want to miss. And I actually appreciate Joe going to his backstory and how he became a financial advisor and how he was in so much debt and the steps that he took to get out of it. And according to statistics, most of America has some kind of an issue with debt or savings. So if this is you, you are not alone. And Joe goes into detail of how to get out of it. So if you've ever wondered how much you should have by a certain age, what the difference is between a mutual fund and ETF, where you should be putting your money, what company you should be using to do it. We go over all of this and so much more. It was such a pleasure to have you on. So without further ado, here is Joe Saul Sihai. Absolutely, yeah. So Joe, thank you so much for uh, joining my podcast. First and foremost, um, I want to say, you know, I want to send my condolences, uh, to you and your family. Um, I appreciate you rescheduling me. Um, I hope, I hope you all had, a, had a good Christmas for as good as it could have been. Um, I feel, you know, obviously I feel for you. And, uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to join me. And, yeah, uh, no, thanks, man. It was, yeah. uh, 
it was it was it was you, you know the good the good news was and not to belabor this but he um uh because of the fact that he went into the hospital and then just kept getting worse and worse over a two-week period it just kind of slowly became evident that he was going to die yeah you know so um uh yeah so we had some time ahead of time to kind of deal with the fact that tony wasn't coming back but yeah, yeah thanks yeah absolutely i guess that's the silver lining if you will um, right yes absolutely but uh yeah covid's covid's real it's um it's a terrible, terrible thing. And, you know, I think we all know somebody who's been affected somehow, some way. So um, once again, I said my condolences to you and your family, yeah. but Thanks, uh, yeah, I know um, I, I have wanted to talk to somebody about finances since the day I started this podcast. I have a list of topics <laughs> I want to cover. This has been in probably my top five since I really I got distracted, a few topics took over, and I really also wanted to find the right person to talk to. And I stumbled across your profile on your podcast a few months back. And I said, ooh, ooh, all right, I think we got something here. Yeah, well, good and, timing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes. Are you bringing your book in? Tell me, tell me more about this. <laughs> yeah. We have a brand new book stacked. I love it. Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more about that. That is awesome. Congratulations on that, by the way. Yeah, thanks. No, we it it was it was super cool. The the um, this project has been one that I've wanted to do for a long time. In fact, I wrote a, I wrote a book and it took me about ten years, wow. and I gave it to my wife, and she I think twelve minutes later uh, said, "Hey, this really sucks." <laughs> and, hey, honest <laughs> critique. <laughs> oh, it was great, and it did it did stink. It it wasn't good for. Uh, it wasn't good uh, writing. It wasn't. It wasn't anything like uh, the Stacking Benjamins brand that we've been building, and so I went back to the drawing board and I did two things. Number one was, I went to I went to this bookstore Powell's in uh, Portland, Oregon. Are you familiar with Powell's? I am not. Um, I will say Portland is very high on my list. Is it? Is that just a local or is that a, a chain? It is. A, no, it is a one. Well, I think they now have two or three stores, but it is a local indie store. But it, it it's a block long. Like, wow. it, 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 and the way it's built, I feel like because it's right in the middle of town, I feel like it was you know, they had a smaller bookstore and then one the the store next to them, uh, uh, you know, something happened and they bought that store and then they bought the next one, they bought the next one and they blew the walls out because on one end of the store, it's, it's three stories tall. And on the other it's two mm. and one will have high ceilings, low ceilings and there's stairs to nowhere. And it just, it's this beautiful place. Anyway, my synapses, always fire when I walk around a place like Powell's that, you know, your creativity, you just, you, I, I find my engine really starts going when I, when I'm wandering Powell's and I make my way to the kids section as I will. And, and I find this book, the Hardy boys detective manual that I carried around in fourth grade. My brother and I actually carried around when, when I was in fourth grade and it was written with the help of a real live FBI agent says it right at the beginning of the book. You know, my dad who worked at general motors, he would pull out uh, in the morning and it's kind of muddy. And we go out there and we'd examine the tire tracks. My mom would touch a door handle and we'd be over there with the tape, you know, to get the fingerprint. Cause you don't know where mom's been. And, and, and I thought to myself, I'm like, man, if, if there were a book that adults carried around as lovingly, 
as I carried around that book in fourth grade, like that would be awesome. So anyway, so we fly home. I was living in Detroit at the time and I fly home to Detroit and my mom, who has a key to our house, has left a box and it has all this stuff in, inside of it uh, that, you know, I'm 50 years old at the time, by the way. And she's finally trusting me with the stuff out of the attic. <laughs> like the sixth, sixth place father-son bowling invitational tournament or whatever, you know, that my dad and I did. But there were uh, Little League pictures and there was the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. And one thing I'm sure you and I'll talk about as we dig into money is this idea of gamification. And if you turn some of these onerous tasks into a game mm -hmm. and make it fun, it's great. And way before, you know, I've got a bunch of apps on my phone that are these great finance apps that make things easier. But I'll tell you, Ryan, it, it the Cub Scouts were doing it way before these app makers. And when I dug in and I'm looking at the at the wolf guide, I see things you're going to need at the beginning of every chapter, but they didn't call it a chapter. It was an achievement. Okay. You're now working toward your badge to get an achievement. And then you have all succinctly all the things you need to do. Then at the bottom to prove proficiency, right? Check this box to show you did this, check that box. And then there's a place for your mom decided to prove that you did it. So, and that totally goes along with what we do at Stacking Benjamins. And all of a sudden, I, I knew what I was going to do, but I didn't know if I could do it by myself. And this is something else I think that's big with money, creativity, anything you're going to do, find partners, find people to partner with. And I had tried to write that book over 10 years and I kept stopping because there was nobody to hold me accountable. And then I realized that on my show, I interview three authors a week and I've been doing it for a decade. So why the heck wouldn't I reach out to one of these awesome writers and say, hey, would you like to do this project? So I, I have this friend, Emily, Emily Guy Birkin. She's written four uh, personal finance books before this one that have been bestsellers. And I said, Emily, here's what I want to do. And, and by the way, I felt like a dork. And, and this was even when we went to Penguin Random House on our tour of, which was a whole different story, on a tour of publishers. I had the same exact story, which always ended with, so what I want to do is I want to take the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, mix it with the Cub Scout Wolf Guide, except for adults and about money. What do you think? And I thought, you know, Emily was going to hang up on us. I thought, frankly, after Emily said yes, I thought Penguin was going to hang up on us. But everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. And so Stacked was, Stacked was born. And that's specifically what it is. That's awesome. Congratulations. And honestly, like as much as I love the Hardy Boys growing up, this is something that will benefit everybody. Everybody <laughs> needs to know more about money and how to handle their finances, including myself. And I'm very, 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 very excited to talk to you today. Would love to know more of your background as far as when it comes to finances. I know you were a financial advisor, so please explain yeah. more about that. Oh, so I was... Um... I grew up in farm country in West Michigan and I had no idea what an engineer was. Like I thought an engineer was the dude that drove the train, you know, <laughs> right. And that was, which it is, that's true. <laughs> but I didn't know it was this whole other thing. And I, I've realized since that I very much have an engineering mind, but I was a disaster with money. Our, our family never talked about money. There were, um, I had, I was doing everything wrong with money. And yet I get this call from a friend of mine who says, literally, he said, we normally don't hire people like you, 
but I think you'd be good at this because he'd known me for quite a while. He's like, just the way you think, what you do. And then I realized, by the way, over time too, Ryan, is that he was right and that money skills aren't something we're born with. Like, you know, maybe there is a friend of yours who likes spreadsheets and, and nerds out about money, but it generally is. Those people, in my experience, usually they come from a family where they talk about it or they had some 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 early uh, uh, mistakes with money or discussions about money where they were able to, to dig in and get into the topic. But I think most people were more like me. And so early on in my career, I had to learn it from the ground up, but it definitely fed me. So over 16 years, I grew a business. I managed about $65 million dollars which wasn't a huge business, but not a small business. And I remember when I left, I was, when I sold my business, I was turning 40 years old. And uh, just before that, a mentor of mine, a guy named Chris, Chris wrote this, uh, this uh, like two week notice letter saying that he was leaving the, 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 the firm that I was loosely affiliated with. And, and the letter said, you know, there's other mountains I want to climb. I like financial planning, but I don't love it. I really want to go climb other mountains. And I thought, oh, what a great analogy. It wasn't an analogy at all. He went and climbed almost all of the tall mountains. He's wow. climbed Everest, Everest twice, climbed Denali. He's climbed almost all of them. I'm talking him next to get hooked up. <laughs> yeah, his name is Chris. He was super cool. And, uh, and he did, and he, he works in adventure travel now. I mean, that's what he does. And he, and he did awesome. what he did, what he loved. And so I thought the same thing. I thought, you know what? I'm 40 years old. There's other mountains I want to climb. I would love to be a high school teacher and a track coach. It's where I met my wife. I thought I I've always thought teaching is really fun. So I sold my business and, um, and, uh, went into teaching realize, and I realized maybe, I'm going to say a year and a half into it that I was bored in my teaching classes. My clients who had been teachers told me I was going to be fighting administration all the time. And that teaching while teaching is a fantastic profession and God bless teachers. They said, your ability to teach the way you want to is going to be difficult. Mm. And I didn't even make it out of the college, the post BA college program before I said, you know what? I I'm not sure I want to do this because on the side, I had started writing financial stuff for friends of mine who were financial planners, like their newsletters. And I had, I had spent nine years on television while I was a financial planner. I was on the ABC affiliate in Detroit twice a week, the channel seven money man. And, uh, and so I was writing scripts for people and I'm having a blast and I'm doing this while I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and I'm making more per hour by far than a first year teacher makes. Hmm. And I thought, why would I, why would I stop doing this? So uh, it turned into a blog, blog turned into a podcast. And then, you know, 10 years later, here we are, we've had a podcast for 10 years, 63 million downloads. Damn, that's um, awesome. It's been a, been a, been a fun ride. That is awesome. So I know you had mentioned like you kind of dug yourself into a hole, correct? Like, Oh, I did. What, what kind of triggered yourself? Like what happened and how, oh, and how yeah. did you dig yourself out? Yeah, I did that. I, I did that first thing. This was, this was great. So I was at the the Citadel, the military college of South Carolina, and I've been there for less than a week. So I'm a kid who leaves home and messes up his money in the first week he's gone. So uh, at the Citadel, the student union's called Mark Clark Hall. Now, the Citadel, for people that don't know, is a military college. 
So I couldn't have a job. Let's be clear. I couldn't have a job. And I, I wore a uniform all the time. I go into Mark Clark Hall and uh, there's this line a mile long. And I, and I was asking people, I'm like, what is this? And I don't remember if it was a beach towel they were giving away or Frisbee or pizza or something, but American Express was letting you sign up for debt. You know, hey, go, mm-hmm. come get your American Express card. So I jump in the line. I sign up for my card, you know, and there are lines that say, like, how much money do you earn? I can't, I can't have a job. I'm at a military school. Zero. <laughs> no idea how I'm going to pay the, the this bill back or anything, but that didn't stop them. Of course, three weeks later, you know what came in the mail? I get this shiny new green card. Mm-hmm. And so I'm super excited. The first time they let us off campus, we go to the mall in North Charleston and uh, me and maybe six friends. And we go out to eat at this really high class place. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called Ruby Tuesday. They have like a <laughs> salad bar and everything. Place is awesome. It's a Michelin I, star, right? Isn't it? <laughs> that, yes. Yes. There's little tomatoes and everything. I, uh, uh, the bill came for everybody. And of course I got this brand new card and me wanting to impress my friends. I'm like, guys, I got it. I got it. I'm paying for it. And everybody thought I was the coolest dude because I'm using my credit card to pay for everybody's lunch. And then uh, I walked to the other end of the mall. So, of course, the most expensive store in the mall, Nordstrom. Mm -hmm. And I had this I bought this sweater. So it's 1986. And I bought this sweater that was Duran Duran fabulous. Like it was totally late 80s. It had this paisley uh, paisley neck and this big, it was purple. In fact, I still have it in the other room. That This thing was so, it was an awesome sweater. It is an awesome sweater, but it was super expensive. And I'll go back. I'm in a military college. I can't even wear a sweater. Mm. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. How often do I need a sweater in Charleston, South Carolina? Like both days of the year, I'm going to need this sweater. But I buy it, put it on the credit card. And I never once thought about how do I need to pay this bill? Like how? how? And of course, a month later, I go to get my mail and I open up the mail. Oh, there's a letter for me. It's from American Express. This is nice. I open it up. I owe a bunch of money. And I have no idea how I'm going to pay the bill. So I did what any sane person would do. I called my mom and I said, mom, we got a problem. And mom said, no, you've, you've got a problem, Mm. solve it. And of course I had no ability to solve it. So within 60 days, the credit card was gone. My credit was destroyed. I spent the whole summer working with a collection agency to pay off the, I think it was like $400 that I owed, but you know, plus the 35% interest, the, the, the huge penalties, uh, I don't even remember uh, how much I paid in interest and penalties, but it was a monster number. And it's sad because over the years, I've seen so many people make mistakes like that, right? Uh, uh, they d- just have no strategy about how we're going to pay any of this, th- this money back. Things got worse for me over time. When I first became a financial planner, as I said, I had, an, I had a mentality of, of an engineer, but I have been a creative writing major. I was not at all an engineer. My my brain worked like one, but as I mentioned, I didn't know what an engineer was. And so my first year 
uh, I did really well as a financial planner. I think I made about $85,000. So not, you know, Wall Street phenomenal. I was reading earlier today about a guy who made $550,000 in his first year. That was not me. <laughs> but, but, but for a guy that had an English creative writing degree where you can become a barista, you know, or teach English to people, and that's pretty much it. That was, that was a good chunk of money. Uh, that's a, still a great job. Yeah. Yes. And I could, I had withheld nothing for taxes. I was self-employed and I remember we got to maybe April 1st. Somebody's like, yeah, so, so uh, uh, what are you doing your taxes? I'm like, oh, taxes. Now, now hear this correctly because this should scare people, Ryan. I'm advising other people on my money. I'm pretty good at it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Mm. I have no idea what I'm doing myself. And that should scare everybody because I think there's still a lot of financial advisors that are beginning their career that were are exactly today where I was back then. And you probably, while, while we always need young, new talent in every industry and in that industry, we definitely do. Um, I wouldn't hire those people. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hire me uh, back then. So I found a person at the last minute. And I remember this guy, Bill was his name. Bill says, Hey, uh, you owe, you owe, I didn't remember the number. $18,000 in taxes. I'm, I'm like, where the hell am I going to get 18,000 bucks today? Oh, where, where am I going to get that? I have no idea. So then my credit card debt problem became an IRS problem because I did then what any smart person would do. I buried it. And I thought, if I don't pay any attention to this, it will go away. It was only four years later that, that, that when I figured out enough of what I was doing, and I also realized what a financial disaster I was while I'm very successfully telling other people how to manage their money. And by the way, as I'm learning stuff, I'm applying none of it to my own situation. I'm applying none of it. And I woke up one day, well, I didn't wake up. I was driving home from a meeting and I ran out of gas and I realized I had no credit. I had no cash. I'm I'm digging through the seats of this old rusted out minivan I was driving because, of course, I was married and had two young twins. Um, And I dug through the seats and I found 85 cents in the seat cushions. And I walk a mile to this uh, marathon gas station. I remember still the guy at the gas station did not want to give me the plastic gas tank because he thought I wasn't going to bring it back. Like when you're at the point, you're at the low point that you not only are advising other people, but you have no money, no recourse. And the guy doesn't want to give you the gas tank, you know, wants to give you that. That was a huge wake up call. And I, and I felt absolutely like I had no idea where I was going to go the next day. But what I did do the next day was I realized that you can't use the same you can't use the same body and knowledge to get out of a problem that you used to get into it. Hmm. You had to have a different group of people. And I began then step one, which is what I've been telling my clients to do surround yourself with smart people. Like instead of a dude doing my taxes, I found another woman, Susan, who had the heart of a teacher who walked me through how we were going to get out of this. We were going to call the IRS. We were going to set up a payment plan. We were going to begin negotiating with them to get my IRS stuff handled. My credit card debt, I was going to start putting money into a savings account instead of throwing every dollar at the credit card debt. Why? Because if you put every dollar toward your credit card, you're still using the credit card every time something happens. I had to stop using the credit card. I had to get good with cash and have a healthy respect for cash. 
So I began accumulating cash and then went minimum payments toward my credit cards. And then slowly we picked one off and we got rid of that one. Then we used the cash flow from that one plus the cash flow I already had to do the next one and the next one. And what's, what's pretty powerful is when you start surrounding yourself with smart people who hold you accountable and you begin with, instead of panic, you begin building a foundation. It went way quicker than I thought it was going to. Like I, I was out of, I was out of about $85,000 of debt in a year and a half. And then within five years, my financial situation went from sketchy to pretty good. And then of course, then I sold my business uh, uh, later on and I had a big bag of money that I could, could do stuff with then. But, um, but once you, once you get rolling in the right direction, it's, it's pretty exciting to see compounding interest and interest on the right side do its work. Yeah. This sounds a lot like, you know, if somebody let's say is like hundred pounds overweight or something like that, it doesn't happen in one, one day, one night, you got to start slowly. You got to, you know, it's like having like a fitness instructor. Like you got to do this. You got to follow these rules. You got to have a plan. You got to be consistent and you got to stick with it. I can't imagine that feeling of having 85 cents and they won't even give you the gas can. I mean, that's gotta be such, such a wake up call. And you had a family at the time, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 And my wife was still in school. She didn't make any money. Um, yeah, there's, there's a statistic that I read recently. Uh, it's in a report by a group called nonfiction and, it's called the secret financial lives of Americans. And it's full of these horrifying statistics. But one statistic is over 150 million people in the United States report, Ryan, that they cry about their money or they have cried about their money. And I was a guy that was crying that night about my money. I thought mm. I was done. I, I was screwed. I had no idea where I was going next. And you'd think, by the way, that of those 150 million people, it was people that was in the situation that I was in at that, at that point they're at this low point. Uh, that's actually not true. There are more people who either have low income or have a lot of debt that are, that are, uh, crying about money, but also of people making over $250,000 a year, nearly half of them report that they're crying about their money. And this is something that took me a while to realize when it comes to finance, that everybody wants to talk about what's hot and what's new, right? NFTs, cryptocurrency, a central bank, digital currency that, that, that a lot of governments are implementing. Um, those are kind of the hot things. In, in Congress right now, there's this thing called the mega backdoor Roth IRA uh, and, and uh, Roth conversion strategies that, that going through Congress right now, those might go away. Like that's the hot thing. Let's be clear. I don't think anybody's crying about any of those. Right? I don't think anybody's crying about NFTs or crying about the mega backdoor Roth IRA. People are crying because they're not sure where they're going next. They feel this sense that their values and what they value is not the same thing that they're spending money on. They're spending money in a different way. If someone is listening to this and they're in the same position that you were, what would you suggest? This is step number one. Man, I think, I think step number one is to get clear that you can get out of this, that it's going to be okay. 
you know, you see so many people, there was a, there was a guy who got in trouble. You might've read this last summer, uh, trading Robinhood. It might've been 18 months ago, trading, uh, uh, options thought that he owed $700,000 committed suicide. Then his family realized the next day that it was a glitch and he didn't really owe that money. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't know what he was doing and, and had this horrible thing. And I think there are people who mentally are in this horrible place, but you can get out of it. You can get out of it. And there are people that can help you and there are resources. And what's cool is, is that if you, if you break down your wins, instead of looking for this monster win um, of I'm going to be wealthy tomorrow, break it up into these smaller milestones. You know, for me, I just had to start negotiating with people. And once I negotiated with everybody and I came clean, that was a big milestone. And we celebrated that. Like we didn't go spend a bunch of money celebrating it. But I remember uh, Cheryl, my spouse and I, we had a great celebration that, you know what? We are on a plan with every single person we owe money to. And that's a powerful place to be. Because now for the first time, I can see this light in the distance. Mm -hmm. Not there yet. And then every time we'd pay off another $5,000 in debt and we get $5,000 closer, we'd have this big high five moment. And it was so, it was so fun. So break it down into these smaller steps. So a lot of it, you know, I haven't even addressed what you do tactically because I think your brain has to be in the right place first. Mm -hmm. But tactically, I think the first thing to do is to try to figure out cash flow. And I'll tell you, it's the same with people as it is with companies. When I'm evaluating a stock, I'm looking for free cash flow. Why is that? Because I had so much money going to debt when I was having financial problems. I had zero fee cash flow. I, I, I had to send money to very specific places. And when companies get in that situation, if anything goes wrong, they're in a world of hurt. Mm. So the first thing I had to do was figure out my cash flow and how could I free up some cash flow so that I could apply it to whatever debt that I wanted to do that. We know that emergencies are going to come up. And that's why, that's why I said earlier, which is the next thing I would do, get that emergency fund in place. If once you get an emergency fund in place and you can stop using the credit card or whatever debt instrument you're using and begin using cash, that's a great thing. Now, what's cool is, is that I don't agree with the experts that say you should always use cash. Now, now I'm, I use credit cards again, but I pay off my balance in full and I then can reap reward points. And I'm not getting rich on reward points, but I do laugh every month when these companies, you know, award me more points because I'm clawing my money back that I gave them early, earlier in my life. Like I'm, I'm getting all this cash back that they, uh, that they took from me back when I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Good. Give them the middle figure. That's right. <laughs> now, what... Maybe you have an idea of this. Maybe you don't. I'm curious to know what percent of Americans would you say have somewhat of an issue with debt and or saving money? I, I, I can't grasp it. If you think it's like a yeah. 10%, 50%, what are we looking at here? Do you have oh, no, no, it's going to be, it's going to be more than half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't have that statistic ready, but, but we do stats about Americans and saving every year. And there's a stat that I just saw yesterday, the day before in fact, I can pull it up really quickly because yeah, yeah, it, was it, an, it was an email that just got sent to me, uh, a group called Magnify Money, uh, which is a great comparison site. Now, they are a sponsor of my podcast as well, but they, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. The number here, this is uh, according to the latest Magnify Money Savings Index, 39% of Americans added their saving in December. What does that mean? Well, take the opposite side of that. That means 61% of people didn't add any money to their savings. That's a that's a lot of people. So not, for the for the people for the people listening, they're like, well, that's probably because they bought Christmas presents. Is that an 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 average? Would you say for every month of the year, or what? Do you no, think? you're right. That is going to be a bigger a bigger number in December. December is mm -hmm. a horrible a horrible month. In fact, that this study goes on to show that uh, twenty percent of people withdrew money. Um, some people are finding it difficult to save money at all. Uh, 18% of people contributed $0 to their savings in the entire year. And another 48% contributed less than $5,000. Some big, some big numbers. Wow. I, um, you know, I consider myself to do decently well. We'll, we'll go over some of that, but I always kind of wonder in the back of my mind, like, I wonder how I'm doing compared to other people. Not necessarily yeah. my friends, just like in general, yeah. like, I wonder where am I, where should I be at this time in my life? You know, I, I don't know. So it's, yes, yeah. I'm going to ask you some of those questions because I'm actually, you know, kind of curious, but um, Th that was one of the things when I was a financial planner, people always wanted to know how do yeah. I, how do I yeah. rate versus your other clients? Yeah. And I, you don't, you know, you don't need to, compare and contrast me, but I remember one of the things that really turned me on, I'm going to give a shout out my best friend, Jason. He um, worked at a bank. He's one year older than me. So he started working before I did. He was working at a bank and uh, I'll never, ever forget. I was 22 or 23 and I just started my first job making uh, ads at the newspaper and uh, they offered a 401k and he showed me on the computer compound interest. And I was like, I can be a millionaire. What? I, the millionaire was one of these things. I thought someone was on TV. They had a yacht and an airplane and stuff like right. that. that. That couldn't be for me. But I mean, I was making crumbs at that point too, a minimum wage basically. And uh, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, if you put this much away and then look at, if you start a year early compared to start a year late, you know, it, it goes, if you make 10% on this and 10% on that, I was like, Oh my God. As soon as I saw it, that was the best thing I could have possibly seen at that point in my life. Because since that day, there has not been a week that has gone by that I haven't contributed to my 401k. And because of that, I feel like I'm in a pretty solid position, but um, yeah, I would love for you just to dive in for one second for people who are just really not sure what compound interest is and yeah. how it can help them, what compound interest yeah. actually is. Yeah. Can I give you, uh, let me tell you a short, short story about it. Yeah. That, that is, in, so I had this, I had this, uh, this client named Tom when I was a financial planner and he uh, came to me just after he had made a move in his 401k he'd left one company a small engineering firm and he'd gone to another company and when you by the way when you leave a company and you go to another one you got that 401k money sitting there yep. you have a choice you can leave it there in a lot of cases sometimes you can't but usually you can you can roll it over to the new firm and just keep growing it with your new nest egg you can move it to an ira or there's actually a fourth move and this is the one that he did he took it out right now he, he, he was 26 years old and had already saved 12,000 bucks, which by the way, for 26 years, for 26 year olds out there, that's, 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 that's a great start. That is just a great start. I just, sadly, I don't see it enough. Um, sometimes I see people that save way more than that by the time they're 26, but $12,000 at 26 is great. So he took it out. 
And it's funny because when I've told the story before, I've asked people what they think he did with the money. Ryan, what do you think Tom did with the money? I'm going to say he bought a car. He bought a car. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been a 26-year-old guy before. <laughs> he bought a car. His old car had was having some problems, right? He had the same car that he had in high school and college. He had bought a beater. He thought that he was doing much better in his career. He deserved a better car. He needed a better ride. So he took the money out. He bought a car. And he found out later what the problem was with spending that money on a car, which is that he, when you take money out of your 401k, you pay taxes if you're earning that money today. And if you're in, let's say, let's say the 21% tax bracket, there's 21% of your money is gone. And then on top of that, you're going to pay a 10% penalty because he's not 59 and a half yet. So he's paying about a third of that money out. So he has just over $8,000 now to buy the car. Now, even though this was the 90s when he made this move, even in the 90s, $8,000 wasn't going to buy Tom a new car. Hmm. He, he now had a car down payment and he, was, and he had a car loan and he had this penalty to get at that money. So, and in fact, the reason he was in my office was because he knew that, but he was wondering if he could take it back, if he could put the money back in, because he had found out from a friend that that was a problem. And sadly, the answer at this point was no, he, he cannot. He had a window where he could have put it back in, but he was already outside of that window. So what Tom should have done was done this thing called opportunity cost. And this gets to your, your question, Ryan, about compound interest. Because he turned 12,000 into eight that went into a depreciating asset, a car that the second that it drives off the lot is worth even less than, than what he paid for it. Versus if he'd left that money where it was intended for retirement. And for retirement, let's pretend he wants to retire in his mid 60s. Well, there's this cool rule called the rule of 72. You familiar with the rule of 72? I'm not. Tell me more. Oh, this is great. So, and everybody can do this with your 401k. You can do it with, with anything. It's this mathematical, magical number where you take the interest rate you think you're going to get, you divide it into 72, and it tells you how many years it's going to take your money to double without adding to it, right? Okay. You don't okay. add any money. So if he thinks that he's going to get, let's say a 9% return, because he's got so long until retirement, that's a, that's a decent return to focus on. Nine divided into 72, eight years. It's going to take Tom eight years for his money to double. So that $12,000, he's 26, would have doubled when, when he's 34, when he's 42, when he's 50, when he's 58. And we'll just do it one more time for fun. Then again, when he's 66, let's say that he retires at 66. So five mm -hmm. times it's going to double. So when Tom got rid of 12 to get eight, because he said that wasn't that much money, what he really gave up was that first double that would have happened eight years later. He's got five doubles here. That 12 would have turned into 24. That 24 then second double would have been 48. The next one would have been 96, 192,000, $384,000. If my, if my math is right, $384,000 he would have had if he left it alone to 66. That's almost a half a mil right there. That is and crazy. he would have had to do no more saving. 
I mean, this is not with saving another dollar, right? Right. Any right. saving he would have done later, he would have, he would have, he would have had it. So I would have much rather he took out a car loan for the entire car. Right. And left that money alone, it would have been a way better, way better transaction. So yeah, the you know what's cool about compounding interest is that it allows you it'll and, and this I think is the whole game where money meets the pursuit of happiness. I think the place money meets pursuit of happiness is happiness isn't managing money, happiness isn't paying attention to money. Happy money is the fuel to allow you to have the flexibility to do those things that make you happy. So if your happy place is working less or working because you love it, you have the flexibility because you have cash flow and an income stream. You've got money sitting aside assets that allow you to do that. If happiness is more vacations, if it's the beach, spending time with friends, going to the gym, making your own gym at home, whatever it might be. I mean, the, the, the pursuit of happiness is not money, but money's definitely the fuel to get you there. Love it. Love it. You're using the name on my podcast too. <laughs> so I appreciate you intertwining that props for that. Well, I'm but just I, thinking about what your role is here, right? Ryan? Yeah, no, this, I absolutely, this is like making me so happy. Like when I put money away into my 401k and retirement, I am thinking about just how it's just that little bit turns into this, turns into that, turns yeah, into, yeah. turns into stacked, right? It's yeah, just our, absolute nice job. There you go. You start stacking. <laughs> I, it's just that honestly, genuinely incites me. I, I, I know enough to be dangerous and I love, and I'm talking to somebody with such an expertise in this area. I genuinely truly love this. And uh, I know you mentioned by 59 and a half, that's the age you can take it out and not get penalized. Is that, yeah, with an, with an, yes, correct. With an IRA. Now a 401k, if okay. you leave your money in a 401k, you can get it earlier depending on the plan document. So there's this plan document that every 401k has. If you separate from service before 59 and a half and you're retiring, you may be able to get the money out of a 401k sooner. Okay. So when I would have a, a client back when I was a financial planner that wanted to retire at 55, then we'd usually leave the money in the 401k. Okay. If, if it was after 59 and a half, then moving money to the IRA was usually a better move because there's so many more investment options available out there. Not necessarily better, just more. So we have more flexibility as things change to do, to do uh, you know, whatever creative thing we wanted to do. I'm going to ask you a really, really basic question here. I'm trying sure. to cover the bases for everybody listening. Can you explain the difference between a 401k and an IRA? Sure. A 401k has to be through your work. So if you work at a, at a, at a place, generally a bigger company, you'll have a retirement plan called a 401k. If you don't have that available, or if you make under a certain threshold and that changes every year, you can put money in an IRA. And an IRA is like a do-it-yourself 401k. Mm -hmm. So, hey, I don't have one available through work. I can go ahead and open up my own. I can open those up wherever I want. Now, the, the IRA is just a tax shelter. A 401k and an IRA are a tax shelter where when you put money in, that money's not going to get taxed until you take it out. If you open up a different version of an IRA or a 401k called a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, that money gets taxed before it goes in and you'll never pay tax. It's going to grow tax-free. 
for most people, I prefer that Roth option, by the way, go ahead and take a little tax hit right now and don't have the tax hit later on. Let it grow, grow tax-free over time. Some people, you know, when you talk about people being confused, I'll give you another thing that confuses people, which is, okay, uh, what kind of return does an IRA make? What kind of return does a 401k make? We just got through the holidays and the holidays give us a good analogy, which is there's presents at my house. We celebrate Christmas. So there's, there's presents underneath the Christmas tree. Those presents back when I was a kid, my mom always had this, you know, you can't open that stuff until December 25th. You know, grandma would bring it over before she went to Florida because we lived in the in Michigan mm -hmm. uh, in early December. We had to look at grandma's presents until December 25th. An IRA or a 401k is the same thing. It's just that wrapper. What you put inside it, what that gift is, can be whatever you want. It can be a stock. It can be a mutual fund. It can be an exchange traded fund. It can be um, a real estate investment trust. Uh, not a piece of real estate that you live in, but it, but uh, a diversified real estate investment that's professionally managed you can put in there. Um, lots of different choices on what the present is. So when people ask me, what kind of a return does an IRA get? That's completely up to you. It's yeah. a second second decision. So I am somebody who has money in TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, yep. Robinhood, and I don't know if there's anywhere else either. What's the difference yeah. between all these? How does someone choose one of these? Is there a difference? Yeah. It, well, they're just brokers, right? Those are, those are brokerage services. And uh, there are a few differences. And you have to ask yourself a few questions. Number one is... What, what are you, what do you get with each of them? And I think even before you start there, let me back up off that, Ryan, because I think there's actually a different place to start. Sure. The, the first place to start in choosing a brokerage is actually in asking yourself, do I even need a brokerage? Like, why am I going after the brokerage? And then you'll choose the right one based on that. So I'm going to flip this around. Uh, and I talk about this a little bit in my book because, because I grew up in farm country, the thing that people get 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 uh, frustrated with more often than anything when it comes to investing is there are so many investment choices out there. There's like a bajillion choices and you feel overwhelmed by mm -hmm. all these different things. Is this a good investment? Should I put my money here? Which place should I put my money into? That is a losing proposition. You will never you will never win that game. And you'll always, if you try to play that game of what's the best investment, you will always second guess yourself thinking that there's a better investment than the one that I have. And I'm screw myself over. I, I could do a better job of this. So instead you do it this way. Growing up in farm country, I worked in a lot of cornfields and corn through thousands of years of research, right? Farmers throughout the world, throughout time, have figured out that in the Northern Hemisphere, you don't plant corn in January because it will die. You plant it in the spring because that, that it will live. You have this growing season and you leave the corn alone until it's time to harvest it, and that is in the fall. And if you do it differently, you're probably not going to be very successful farming. The cool thing is when you look at your investments, if instead of looking at this wide world of investments, you start with your goal. So if your goal is for, for you, if it's, if it's financial independence and retirement, let's say you put an age on that of 50, 55, 60, or like Tom, 66, whatever it might be, put an age on that. 
now we know what your growing season is, right? <laughs> that you're looking at. And then instead of looking at this big, huge world of investment possibilities, I now ask one question. What investments historically were the ones that got me there most reliably? What are the investment types that got me to this time frame? It got me to this goal uh, in a reason with a reasonable amount of risk and, 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 and got me there very reliably. So as an example, over the long term that, that, that you might be talking about there is uh, stocks and real estate are the two investment types that over long periods of time have gotten you there. Hmm. Now, I, I don't have to look at art, NFTs, savings accounts, CDs, bonds. I don't have to look at any of that stuff because those things haven't worked. I've got this much more narrow focus. And now I can learn as much as I can about the things that most reliably got me there. If I need a, uh, a mutual fund that has stocks inside of it, then I look for a home. So where am I going to buy these things? And that's when I look at different brokerage houses. And so if I'm buying individual, if I'm buying individual stocks, a place like uh, a TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, those places have a lot of research uh, and I can look into stocks and I can research stocks by myself. Robinhood is a competitor of theirs that just came around a few years ago. Robinhood was the first company to offer zero uh, cost trades. Um, which was pretty exciting at the time. It was super exciting how they how they came on board and all of a sudden trades are free. Uh, but then guess what happened? Then Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, everybody else went free as well. And um, I am not a fan, by the way, and I'll make this clear. I'm not a fan of Robinhood at all. Uh, tell, tell me why. Tell me more about that. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Robinhood has had data breaches, They've either been really dumb or they've lied to their customers. And I, I prefer to think my broker's not dumb, you know, that my brokers know what they're doing. Maybe they are dumb, uh, but I don't, but I don't think so. Uh, I think they, and I'll tell you what that one was about. They, they were talking about if you move money into their account, it will be uh, uh, SPIC insured. Yeah. And so they were comparing SPIC insurance to FDIC insurance. SPIC insurance is an insurance that protects you against your broker defrauding you about them running away with your stocks. Or if something happens that these are actually your stocks, even though you don't hold them, they hold them. So th th they're promising this insurance that doesn't do what they say is going to do to the point, Ryan, that the, the, the people at SIPC went to them and said, we're going to, we're, we're going to have to, uh, I think they reported them to the SEC. Uh, it's, it, and they've had so many data breaches. They've had so many data breaches. And then you saw the thing around the meme stocks where they stopped people from trading yeah. in, inside their account. Like, like Robinhood, the name Robinhood implies steal from the rich to give to the poor. Mm -hmm. Every single thing I've seen Robinhood do has been to steal from people that don't know what they're doing and put more money in, in, in their own hands. Now, if you're listening to this, if you're driving down the road, you're listening to this and you're like, well, Joe, how's that different than Fidelity? It really isn't. I mean, Fidelity's not your buddy either. Neither is TD Ameritrade. They're mm -hmm. not your buddy. But you know mm -hmm. what? They're competent. They're competent. They know what they're doing. And I know that when I put money into a Fidelity account, that my money's going to be there. I'm not being actively lied to. Uh, and, I, and I also don't have these data breaches that seem to happen but I think there were two last year. Okay. So.
So I have two, I got two questions. One of them, like a TD, a Meritrade, an E-Trade. I know what I just asked about differences. Is there really yeah. that big of a difference there? No, no. no. Same thing. No, no, no. I will tell you that, that if you choose among this group, uh, 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 Schwab, TD, Meritrade, uh, Schwab, TD, Meritrade, E-Trade, Fidelity, same stuff, different house. Okay. I thought so. Just want to confirm that. And uh, yeah. another question I have is, um, okay, so I have Robinhood. It is not my main trader by any means. One of the reasons I got Robinhood was when Tesla split over a year ago, I said, I want to buy this uh, ASAP. And it's one of those things where I could buy and then it took the money out of my account a few days later. So when it split, I hit it. It shot up, and obviously, you know the story of Tesla since, I'm sure. Sure, yeah. Um, I want to keep those Tesla stocks. Yes. What's the if you if you're if you're basic? I don't know if you're telling me this, but if you're basically almost kind of saying get your money out of Robinhood. Yeah. Wow. What's the best way to go around this? If I want to keep those stocks, I don't yes. mind if it's in TD Ameritrade or E. I don't care where it is. I just want that's them. right. So yep. what do I do? What do I do here? Go to the place where you want them to go. Let's say it's it's TD Ameritrade. Go to TD and tell them, I want to do an account transfer of these stocks. I don't want to sell them. I just want to transfer them to you. It's called an ACAT transfer. They You will fill out an account transfer form and those stocks will come over in kind to the new account. So awesome. you'll hold them at, you'll hold them in an account that, 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 um, that is a little more responsible. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea that existed. I thought yeah. my option was to like sell the stock and sell take, it, withdraw yeah. the money and then get penalized yeah. for it. And I wish I don't yeah. want or agreed. Yeah. That's what I, th or just hang on to it. And, yeah. Super okay, easy. Wow. It, it doesn't happen right away. It might take a couple of weeks for the stocks to get over there, but, but that's what I would do. That watch Tesla go up to fifteen hundred. Hey, what Absolutely. happens? What happens in between like that time period? If, the, if Tesla keeps taking off, am I yeah. SOL or am I still going to get that money? No, you will. You'll own the stock. The, the The bad news during that time is that actually the opposite. If Tesla goes down, mm -hmm. there may be a small period of time where you're in on that ride. You yeah. you you may call Robinhood or you may look at your Robinhood account. It's not there. Hasn't shown up in your new account yet. Um, there may be a couple days there where you're just riding whatever Tesla does those two days. So okay. if, if, if Mr. Musk and company can hold it together for those, for I'm those hoping couple so. days, that's I'm, right. I'm hoping yeah. so. Yeah. I don't really, I'm not a day trader by any means, but I keep up with the news and I invest in companies that one, I believe in, and two, I see like a potential to, you know, to go. Sure. I, I had a great time with Rivian two months ago. That hasn't really done a whole lot <laughs> since, but uh, you know, I, it's one of those things everyone's looking for the new Tesla and we don't want to miss it. And so you buy 10 shares or something and hoping it does turn into a Tesla. And you know, if it does and freaking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. So I have another question here is I'm sure you get this all the time. Um, I'm thinking of my sister here. She is a smart person, but not super financially savvy. And I try to help her and convince her to do things. She just, she doesn't have the willingness to do it. Doesn't understand it. Doesn't know where to get started. And I'm sure you probably have a lot of people that tell you it's too late now. I missed the boat. I can't start. I feel like I lost all those compound interest years. They lose motivation. When is too late to start? If that's even such a thing. And what do you tell those people? The, uh, there's a great, uh, 
there's a great quote. I think it's Winston Churchill, but I'm not sure. My co-host on Stacking Benjamins uses it all the time, though. So I wish I had him here right now. But it's the best, the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. But if you can't plant a tree, then plant it now. Hmm. Um, and I love that mentality. In fact, we we interviewed just six months ago a couple that at 50 years old was completely screwed, had a bunch of debt, hadn't saved any money, and was financially independent by the time they were 60. They turned everything around between 50 and 60. Wow. And if you can start at 50 and turn around now, in in one thing that people have to know is they had high income. They had very high income. And, and by the way, that, that always helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you and I, though, there is something that any, anybody who's a fan of your show, Ryan, that they can do. Studies show that your boss wants to give you a raise, but you haven't given your, you either haven't asked or you haven't given your boss the right information. So we need to begin advocating for ourselves much more than we do and find good ways to ask for a raise at work. Um, I, I did this in August and I have a new, I got a new job in September. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't work very well, but that ended up working out in my favor. So that is, that. you make more money. Yeah. 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 So if you make more money, even if not, I mean, you really find out your value then uh, uh, to the company. Sure. I just want to throw that in there. (laughs) No, that's no, but, but, but you're actually proving the point that if, Hey, if not, I mean, look at the great resignation that's happening right now is all, and I know we're off track here a little bit, but the great great. resignate, the great resignation is partly because of this workers are finally figuring out, you know what? I kind of hold some cards. My boss doesn't hold all the cards. I hold some cards. I'm pretty valuable. Mm-hmm. There are things that I could be doing that 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 um, that that make me more money or make me happier. It's not always about more money, or hopefully it's both. You yeah. know that I, yep. that I get more money and I'm happier. So go ask your boss for a raise. But but they had high income, and I know there's people though that put stank on that. They go, oh, they made a bunch of money, so you know it's easy for them. Here's the deal: even even though they made a lot of money they still had to work that shovel into savings. I, I had, I'm in a, I'm in a lucky place where I've seen a lot of people's money. I've, most people don't get to see, you know, more money than their own, or maybe two or three close friends. They'll see what they're doing. Hmm. I've seen hundreds of people's thousands of people's money. And I'll tell you, we're all screwing a bunch of stuff up. And the number of people that I know who have, been making high income and still unable to save because they're making horrible decisions is huge. I, I, I would meet people making 300, 400, $450,000 that struggled to save a dime. So making, making good income, I think is, is, is great using it, using it's also great. I want to get in. Yeah. Go Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I tell your sister though. And this is the part, don't think about today because Today, your sister probably thinks I have all these other priorities. It's too late. There's things that I could have done, but I didn't do it. So that train's left. This idea we talked about earlier around compounding interest is super important because she needs to get that first double as quickly as she can. Mm-hmm. She, she needs to get her money in a spot where it can work for her. So she doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting herself because if she doesn't invest money, she just saves money and doesn't invest money. She's going to have to save dollar for dollar, every dollar she wants to save later. So the key to this, I think Ryan is not to think, have your sister think of herself now, 
have her think of herself at age 65 and she doesn't have any money. Like right now, there's some flexibility that she has at 65. A lot of that flexibility is gone. Mm -hmm. You know, there's wage, there's age discrimination in a lot of places where they don't want older people working there. There's your, your, your income might get capped. You know that you only have a short amount of time still in the workspace. So how much longer are you going to work there? I, when, when people would have difficulty beginning saving, I think you have to project them into the future and say, okay, you're 70 years old and you haven't saved any money. What, what, what do you do now, mm-hmm. man? Yeah. And, and nothing, nothing starts people saving quicker than, uh, and investing quicker than that fear that I'm going to get to 70. And, and you know what, maybe at this point for your sister, it's not going to be the world's most wonderful retirement, mm-hmm. but it's going to be something. It's going to be some flexibility. And then even if she has to have kind of a hybrid retirement where she's working part-time jobs, maybe she's picking part-time jobs that she really likes right. instead yeah. of something that she just has to do. And you stay busy and you have a passion for it. And you know, it's not really a job yeah. anyways. Um, yeah. So, so let's just say you're 65 or 70. Um, how does trading work at that point? Like, let's just say I'm 65 and I'm retired. It's like, you know, I got some money here. Um, can I trade stocks and just bank it like immediately? Is there, is there a penalty with that? There's, there is, there is no, there's no age rule around trading any, any money. And if you're talking about using an IRA where, uh, in trading inside an IRA, the mm-hmm. answer is yes. And if you want to take it, you can, you're just going to pay on a traditional IRA, a regular IRA, you're going to pay tax on it. The second you withdraw it from the IRA. Okay. Uh, if it's a Roth IRA, then no harm, no foul. There's not going to be any tax. So leave it in there until you need to buy your next cheeseburger and then, and then spend it as you buy the cheeseburger because there's it's tax-free on the way out. Okay. So maybe this is too basic, but let's just say I put a thousand, we'll go back to Tesla. I'll put a thousand into Tesla. I'm 65 years old. A week later, it goes to 2000. Yes. I'm like, all right, Frank. It's like, I just uh, hit red on the roulette table. I'm I'm out of here. Can you just be like, I'm done. Like I'm taking that money. I'm running. Yes. And, and, and if you're not inside an IRA, if you're just in a brokerage account, just a regular account, you can do that today, no matter what age you are. Now, the problem is if you don't hold on to it for a year, mm-hmm. you're going to pay a higher tax rate. You're going to okay. pay a tax rate based on your income. Okay. Once you get to a year, now you're looking at long-term capital gains mm-hmm. and then uh, you lock down. So generally it's better to try to hold on to it for 12 months if you can. Okay. This is just, this is the best. Um, Let's go back to me for a second and we can do the whole because it's all because it's all about you. It's all about me, right? <laughs> it's uh well the good thing about me, a good and bad thing, whatever you want to say, is I'm turning 40 this year. And so I feel like people will probably say, by the time I'm 30, by the time I'm 40, by the time I'm 50, this is that benchmark question I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? Like let's we can let's go, we can use yes. me as example. Hey, yes, Joe, I'm turning 40. Yes. Um, what should I be looking at and having in savings if I want to retire, let's just say 60, 65 and be comfortable? What do you think? This is, this is, uh, is a place where a lot of people apply 
rules of thumb. Mm -hmm. They apply standard numbers. There's a rule as an example. I don't know if you're familiar with this movement, the fire movement, mm -hmm. which is financial independence, retire early. Uh, and these are people aggressively saving to be retired by the time they're 40, by the way, they're saving half their income, sometimes 60% of their income so that they can put as much away. And by the time they're 40, they can be completely retired. Um, they use a number in the fire movement. I know of the 25 X rule, whatever you're living on today, multiply that by 25. And that's probably the size of the nest egg that you're going to need. So that, that math works. It works. It's, it, it isn't perfect. Like as a former financial planner, I would much rather have a more perfect number, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what I don't like about these numbers and these rules of thumb about where I should be is it robs you of what we were talking about earlier about once again, pursuit of happiness podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, it robs you of these value-based internal discussions that you can have with yourself or with whoever you're planning with uh, about what's really important to me. So if I use 25 X, I'm just assuming that the way I live now is the way I want to live later. And okay. I get this, this pool of money. I'll tell you what's way more fun and makes, it makes planning, uh, so much more worthwhile is if you begin with the goals and then work backwards. So here's, here's the thing, actually, this is chapter one, uh, of my book and it is do not, do not like we do with new year's resolutions that don't work. Just write down your goals. Everybody writes down their goals and that doesn't work. I mean, we see it every year and yet we do it every year. Here's what works. Take out an empty sheet of paper, like printer paper, and put yourself as a stick figure over on the left and draw a line that shows the rest of your life. And on that timeline between today, so put your age right underneath your stick figure, start drawing circles of these goals that you want, right? These bags of money you want. Maybe let's say, Ryan, you want to go back to school for, for more education. You're like, okay, well, let's plan on that five years from now that I'm going to, I'm going to get whatever my next degree is. And you put a little circle because that circle means there's a bag of money you're going to need. There's an income stream you're going to need. What is that? And then you're like, okay, I want to be, I'm turning 40. I want to try to be, let's try to be financially independent by the time I'm 55. Mm -hmm. So then you put another big, huge bag of money that's 55 to the end of your life there. And then maybe there's other things. Maybe you're a dad and you've got a child you want to put through college as well, or maybe you want a second home, you know, uh, uh, maybe you just want to go to part-time income, whatever that is, but put all these goals out. And I'll tell you a few things happen. The first thing that happens is this, and this directly answers your question, but this isn't even the cool part. You start with that goal. So let's say it's age 55. You draw a line back to today. And this tells you how much money do I need to save to get that goal? What's the rate of return to get that goal? And what's the difference between what I'm doing now and, and that? So am I saving too much? Am I not saving enough? Where is my saving in relation to where it should be? Mm -hmm. There's there's calculators on most, most of the sites, uh, uh, the financial sites out there. Fidelity has them, Schwab has them, TD Ameritrade has them. They have calculators that will put you in the ballpark of how much money you're going to need. But, but if you say, okay, I want to spend a little more money in retirement. So instead of this 25X thing where it's the same lifestyle, then you change your lifestyle to be based on what your values are. And then you apply inflation. You look at a rate of return assumption that's based on your growing season, like we talked about earlier, back the line down to today. And you get this cool equation. I need to save, Ryan needs to save X amount of money times Y rate of return to get the goal. 
that return then tells you what investment types historically have done that. And that amount of money tells you what needs to happen with your budget. Are you, are you budgeting enough money towards saving, not budgeting enough? And I'll tell you what happens too, though, and this is where it starts getting fun. Now we have all the goals lined up against each other. So instead of the New Year's resolution thing where, hey, I'm going to work out but I forgot I have a full-time job and I'm tired as hell at night, right? When I was working out and I'm not in love with waking up at 4 a.m. so that I can go on the, you know, to the gym at 4 a.m. So there's this push and pull between the different life things that you have. When you draw it all out, your brain sees all this push and pull against each other. And now you have these cool, awesome discussions about happiness Mm. about, okay, is it going to make me, let's say, let's say that I can get that degree that we were talking about, or I can retire at 55, but it looks like, you know, if I go to school full-time for a couple more years, that's going to really put a, put the brakes on 55. So maybe I can't retire until 57. How do I feel about that? And by the way, there's no right answer. There's a right answer for you, mm-hmm. but there is no right answer. And maybe mm-hmm. you go, no, you know what? I'm going to skip the degree. I like what I'm doing. I'm going to try to just, just get, get out of the workplace before then. Maybe I'll go back and take classes after 55 and add that to my retirement goal. You know, for people that have kids college in, in America, especially college has become this thing, this knee jerk thing. And a lot of us don't even ask why are we going to college? Like, yeah. like, like what's, what, what's it all about? And mm-hmm. do I really want to pay for hundred percent of it? Or do I want to teach, do I teach junior how to save part of it themselves? You know, maybe, maybe there's a middle ground there mm-hmm. and man, I got to tell you when you use the rules of thumb at by 40, I got to be here by 50. I got to be here by 30. I got to be here. You rob yourself of all this fun, like these great discussions about what's really important to me. That's kind of for me where the rubber meets the road. That's great advice because I do know I'm sure most Americans are probably like, I'm turning 50 this year. You know, what, where should I be at? Do I have enough? Yeah. I got t- retirement coming in 10 years. Like, am I okay? And yeah, you know, it, like I said, it, everyone is different. It's kind of hard to, to answer that question. So I appreciate the way you dove into that. No, I mean, hey, I mean, if you really want the shorthand, the rules of thumb are there. I just, for the reasons I said earlier, I just don't yeah. like them. Yeah. I just think it's so much more fun. Do you have a rule of thumb as far as if I were to come to you and say, all right, Joe, I'm making, you know, X, Y, Z, I own a house, I have a car. Um, How much percentage should I be putting into my 401k? Do you have rule of thumb with that? Nope. I have a rule of thumb of start with the end in mind, figure out what percentage gets you there and then put, put your money into the, into the right thing. Now let's say that you're, that you're just out of, out of college you have this first job, you got this sweet job at the minimum, you should be saving 10%. Okay. Like may, like maybe your first job at 21 or 22, you, you know, I'm not thinking about grant and granular means what I want to do at 65. Right. Right. Maybe I'm not doing that, but 10% is good. 15% is better. I'll tell you what I would do it. Like if I, if I had those days over again and I could do it over again, I would have realized that I've been used to living on nothing for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I, I remember college. Oh my, the, the stuff we would eat and the lifestyle that we had. And it just, it was not lifestyle, the rich and famous. And yet then I got my first job out of, out of college and I'm making, as, as we talked about, I'm making decent money and I don't even put money away for taxes. I don't put money away for anything. I, I still find a way to get in over my head, but what I should have done 
what I should have done was saved like half of it and still lived on nothing for a few years. Because if you can do that Tom analogy we did earlier, but imagine instead of 12,000, if he had saved 40,000 mm. by the time <laughs> he was 26, 40,000 doubling five times, 80, 160, 320, 640, 1.2 million, almost $1.3 million just going from 12,000 to 40 in those early years. That's, so that's amazing. Um, so like for the people who are listening to like, how is he making this much money or how is this guy doubling his money? Where is this guy putting his money? Like where, where are you yeah. suggesting people put their money to actually sure. be able to have that double effect? Well, you know what that is, is that historically the, the stock market over long periods of time has averaged about 10.7%. When I say the stock market, I'm not saying do anything sexy like going out and buying Tesla. I'm saying you buy this thing called an index fund. Mm. And an index fund is really great It's because it's super boring. And in the world of financial management, boring is good because most people don't want to sit around and watch their portfolio all day. They've got all the things that they want to do. And when you put money into an index like the S&P 500, you're buying the 500 biggest companies in America. And you're buying them with one trade. There's a ticker symbol IVV, which is the iShares uh, S&P 500 mutual fund that buys you the 500 biggest uh, uh, ticker symbol VTI. If you want something even I was more. literally just going to pull that up. I got VTI. <laughs> I was literally just going to pull is VTI a good one. <laughs> yeah. The VTI is cool because of the fact that it's the total stock market. Now you're buying midsize and small companies as well. So instead of just buying the big ones, which is what the S and P 500 does, yeah. you're buying mid and small as well by VTI. So, or VTSAX, if you're buying the, uh, the, the, the mutual fund version of that, but, but those are boring. They're easy. They're incredibly low fee. And because you're diversified, you can sleep at night knowing that if the economy just continues to do what it's done, you can expect to have, you know, if you want to be more conservative, you could use a seven and a half, eight percent rate of return. Mm. Historically, it's done 10.7. Last year, it did smoking hot. The right. last 10 years, it's done smoking hot. But from 2000 uh, to roughly 2013, it did nothing. You know, uh, uh, you you would have had to sit for th roughly 13 years to actually see your money do do anything. Um, get back to where it was at 2000. Is VTI? Would you say is that aggressive enough for someone in their 20s and 30s? I think it totally is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah because number one, you're all stock. You're yeah. all stock. You don't own any bonds. There's nothing in a savings account. Your money is all in stock. So you are buying the, the, the economy of the U.S. In a lot of ways, you're buying some of the economy of the world. So absolutely it is. Okay. Another one that I own is SPY. This is a spider ETF done and that's, very well. Yep. And that's the S&P 500 I was talking about earlier. Now I buy it using ticker symbol IVV, which is a little cheaper. It does the same exact thing, but it's a little cheaper than buying SPY. Um, but they do the same thing. And you know what? The amount of money you're paying versus what I would pay an IVV, not worth switching it. Like now that you own SPY, hold on to it. Yeah, I bought now, that probably eight or nine years ago too. So that's done pretty well. Yeah. And now realize knowing both of those things, having both of those positions, you have a fair amount of overlap in owning VTI and mm -hmm. in owning SPY because mm -hmm. the, the, the Vanguard total stock market is going to own 
all the stock market, including mm. those biggest stocks mm -hmm. where your SPY owns the biggest stock. So, so you're doubling up on Facebook, on Tesla, on Netflix, on those, some of those. And then I own them. Then I own them separately too, honestly. Perfect. <laughs> so we'll see where we are in 20, 30 years. I'm either going to be living large or out of them. Well, you know what you can do, Ryan, which is cool because, you know, people think that this is actually a great lesson. And I like this is that people think they're diversified because they own these things and they truly aren't as diversified as they think they are. Yeah. So good. if you're looking for true diversification, owning maybe an emerging markets fund instead, where you're buying some of these areas like India or Southeast Asia, which think about that 20 years from now, Southeast Asia, that's, mm -hmm. that just, there's a lot of growing that's going to happen there. So that can be exciting. Now it's going to be hell of a roller coaster ride, but it's a different roller coaster ride where what you've done in your stock portfolio, S&P 500 and the total stock market, you're all up and down kind of together. You're mm -hmm. going to have everything go up and down at the same time. So um, there, there's a, there's a website that's free. It's called morningstar.com. Mm -hmm. They, you can pay for Morningstar. Uh, and I did when I was a financial planner, but frankly, 90% of the time I use the free stuff. So they're going to kind of hard sell you on, Hey, why don't you pay for this? You definitely say no say that you just use the free, the free stuff, but there's something called a portfolio analyzer there where you can put in all the different stuff that you own and it will tell you how diversified you really are. Oh, that's awesome. Nice job. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. What about a website like the Motley Fool? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, Motley Fool is fine. They have a proven track record of individual stock picking. Mm -hmm. The thing that I would caution people about the Motley Fool is that, frankly, you don't you don't necessarily need that much risk. You don't need to pick individual stocks. Mm -hmm. you, you can do what you're doing with your index funds, and you will get there fine. So I wouldn't feel any pressure to do that. Okay. Certainly, if somebody is into the individual stock game and they really want help, uh, on how to have a proven methodology of picking individual stocks, then Motley Fool will teach you how to do that. That's great. Another question I have here now is I, I believe we have just hit on a couple of ETFs here. What is the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF? Oh. And what, would, what would be the pro and the con? Yeah, great question. So it used to be, you know, an ETF trades like a stock. Well, let's, let's talk about how they're similar. Sure. They, they really are the same thing. It's a diversified collection of investments and the title tells you what you have. So you have VTI, which is the Vanguard total US stock market where you're buying all the stocks in the stock market. You're buying them all. Let's just buy them all. And the cool thing about that is you made one trade to buy them all. Mm -hmm. So instead of buying, imagine if you had to place trades for every single company that's in that, in that thing, like 2,900 different trades, you know, mm -hmm. instead now, if something bad happens to one of them, it doesn't really matter because you own 2,899 other ones. Oh, wow. So, so you get diversification. So that's, that's the cool thing about a mutual fund and an exchange traded fund. How they're different is under the hood. An exchange traded fund trades like a stock. So during the day, you can get in and out whenever you want. Uh, you can place options against it, which I don't recommend for the average person. You can put a stop loss underneath it. If you want to sell it before it goes down too far, you can put a stop loss on it. There are all kinds of gyrations you can do because it trades like a stock. A mutual fund is much more like a subway. It's it at four o'clock every day, the subway stops and people get on and people get off. So when you, when you write to 
Vanguard or to Fidelity or whoever it might be, and you tell them, hey, I want to put $4,000 into this fund, and the fund goes up the entire day, you're not going to get any of that. At four o'clock, the doors are going to open and you're in and you're on it the next day. Conversely, if it's the middle of the day and the market's going down and you want out, you you will also have a problem because you can't get out until four o'clock. The subway is moving. At four o'clock, when the market closes, four o'clock Eastern time, by the way, Eastern US, uh, the doors open and people get off the subway again. Mutual funds... So that's the downside really of mutual funds is that you can't do all this, this stuff inside. There's one more thing that's a, that's a difference between the two of them. Exchange traded funds use some tax loopholes now. This, this might not stay around forever, but right now an exchange traded fund will also be more tax efficient. The bad news about an exchange traded fund is it's more difficult to buy them in little tiny chunks to set up an automatic purchase plan. So when I buy a mutual fund, I like putting a few hundred dollars in them every month, you know? And with a mutual fund, I can do that. Uh, the, the companies are good at setting that up. Exchange traded funds, they're, for most ETFs, there's no mechanism to do that. I literally got to go to my account and I got to buy it once a month or okay. once a week or whenever I buy it. So there's a little bit of a pain in the ass factor uh, with an ETF. By the way, I think that's going to get ironed out. I mean, you know, if, if, if Ryan, if we're talking in five years about this, like a, like a second time around on this stuff, yeah, I'll bet that ETFs have solved that problem. Okay. Um, because I can't imagine that being a problem five years from now. Does a mutual fund have a higher fee than an ETF? It, it does. But think about this. I have a higher fee, but if I'm trying to invest in it every month and they're putting that money to work for me right away versus the friction of having to go in and place the trade every month and have the money sit there until I do it. Hmm. What kind of losses, what kind of opportunity have I lost by waiting for me to pull the trigger? Okay. And then number two is what, what's my time worth? There's a difference in fee, but it's not, I mean, it's not big enough to, to, to really make a difference. You want to see the difference in fee using something that you own? Yeah. If I go to, if I go to, if I go to morningstar.com right now and I put in VTI, yep. So let's just use what you own. The, the, the price on VTI, I go to, all right, I, I, I go to price. The expense ratio is 0.03%, which is incredibly low. Right. It's, it's practically free. The, the same company, same fund, VTSAX, which is the, uh, the mutual fund version the, the expense ratio is 0.04. So one tenth, mm. no, one, one hundredth, sorry. One, one hundredth to 1% is the difference between the two of those positions. Not a, not a huge deal. Who would you recommend a mutual fund for? Is there like, yeah, you'd be perfect for a mutual fund. Is there like somebody that fits the description? Yeah. Just somebody who's putting in money every month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, somebody wants a diversified collection and they're putting money in every month. The mutual that fund's going to freedom for worry. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So let's say, I know we've kind of gone up and down with ages and stuff like that. And sure. uh, let's just say I'm approaching 50 years old. Yeah. We have a decade on to me. Yeah. When should someone, when should I start looking to settle down with my aggression, kind of take my foot off the gas as far right. as it comes to stocks and like, how do you do that? I, I'm going to start off with what I, what the normal advice is that I can't stand. 
How about that? Let's go to what I don't like. Okay. I don't like people that say that grandpa shouldn't be aggressive in his stock portfolio or grandma shouldn't be aggressive with her money, mm -hmm. but just because she's a grand, who cares? It, 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 it seriously doesn't matter. I would work with grandmas who were not going to spend any of this money themselves. So this was money that was going to be a, a, a child's or grandkids inheritance. So if grandma's 85 years old and she knows that her grandson, Ryan, isn't going to spend the money for another 15 years. Yeah. She could be as aggressive as all get out because she's got 15 years. So it, it age does not matter. The growing season matters. So when do I want to harvest that corn? Going back to earlier, mm -hmm. when I know when I want to harvest the corn, when, when I get shorter than 10 years, I get to like five or six years out, maybe seven years out. If you want to be conservative, I begin doing the, 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 the thing that everybody calls landing the plane. Okay. Then I, then I start adding bonds into my portfolio. Okay. I start adding more balanced, uh, less risky stocks. Then when I get to four, three years out, I then am starting to move some money toward cash okay. to, uh, to make sure that I'm locking in the money that I have. That's good to know. Yeah. That's just, just good to have in your head about when you yeah. should start looking into doing that. And, a great, uh, a great analogy people have used for me with that one. Uh, and I don't like to have too many different analogies because I really, I think the growing season works really well, but, but I've had financial planners talk about buckets, right? I've, I've got a bucket of money that's for my short-term needs and that'll include my emergency fund. So my emergency fund shouldn't be in the stock market at all. If right. it is, it's like taking it to Vegas and you're going to the casino because it's going to be so up and down during right. any given year. I mean, you rode Tesla this year. Holy cow. <laughs> we were talking about Tesla on our podcast last week about this guy uh, at the Wall Street Journal was going over the biggest mistakes he made. And at the start of 2021, he told people to sell Tesla. Mm. Well, you know what? In May, he looked like a freaking genius, as you know. He looked mm -hmm. phenomenally well because I believe Tesla went from roughly 750 down to 550. Well, then it went up to 1200 right? <laughs> after that. So if you evaluated it just in the first five months, he was right. But if you waited the whole year, he was way wrong. Like he was way, way, way wrong. So um, in a given year, that's you don't want to have stocks. But over 10 years from now, uh, having a, a broad based uh, stock based fund is a great place, great place to be. Uh, but so that short term bucket, a midterm bucket, which is like five to 10 years, which is kind of a mix. And then a long term bucket, which is 10 years and longer. Okay, fantastic. And what about I think everybody kind of sees where they sign up for a new 401k or something like that. And they're like, oh, I can just invest all my money that says uh, 2035 is the year yeah. that I want to retire. What are your thoughts on those that have like set years that you want to retire? Yeah, it, this is going to be my same advice that I talked about with using these rules of thumb about 30, 40, 50. Mm -hmm. the target date fund will work. It'll get you there. But setting up your own portfolio and your own investments where you have to know them just a little bit has such a big reward attached to it. Why would I put my money in this thing that I can easily do myself and pay an additional fee for it? Uh, uh, and if I'm working with, you know, if I have financial advisors, if we talk about that, um, why would I, why would my advisor and I have, uh, have this target date fund? So it can work. Um, I have another problem with target date funds. You're familiar with Tony Bourdain, right? The, 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 the chef yeah. who passed yep. away a couple of years yes. ago. 
Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. So Anthony Bourdain had this fantastic uh, book called Kitchen Confidential. And the most explosive chapter was called Eat Before You Read This, because it was all the crap that went in in a, in a restaurant that gross you out. It was just... Mm so bad talking about recycling the bread and and how the uh and how how disgusting the kitchens could be and and uh but he talked about sunday brunch and you know these there's these high-end restaurants that will have a sunday brunch and people get dressed up in their finest and they go and they pay a bunch of money for brunch and tony says sunday brunch is the worst thing ever and the reason is it's all the stuff that the chef couldn't sell during the week. It's the back of the freezer. They take it all out there. It's gross. They turn it into salads so that you can't see how gross it is. You know, they make it look decent and then they serve it to you as quote brunch. Mm. And uh, I will tell you that a lot of target date funds, in my opinion, are the Sunday brunch of the financial services industry. Because what you have is a collection of some of their, any given company's most mediocre funds that people really don't want, but they put them in the salad because people aren't buying them to keep the fund afloat. Then they have a manager who manages these funds. So not only do you have a manager of the fund, but you have a manager managing the managers. It's, it's really frustrating. Uh, some target date funds have such huge fees, huge fees. I'm not talking about 0.03 to 0.04. Like we looked at with your Vanguard stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about 1.6 to 2.5, like big, big, big fees. This is great to know. Cause I think a lot of people probably, they they start a new job and they're like, I'll pick that and I'll set it. Yeah. Forget, I don't have to worry about this anymore, Yeah, but maybe you should. So that's awesome. And by the way, and to be fair before somebody's like, Oh my goodness, I have, there's a couple of fun families in particular, three that I'll point out that don't play this game that are really good. If you have target date funds through Vanguard, Fidelity, T Rowe price among a few select others, you don't have to worry about any of that. Those are great. The, okay. the, the only thing I dislike about their target date funds, remember how in our analogy with Tom, every time it doubled, it was huge. Mm-hmm. The key is to stay in the game long enough to get that last double, right? Because oh, that, okay. that last double is the big one. Yeah. I mean, that last double is the huge one. So you want to stay around for that? W- what frustrates me about target date funds is they take all of your money in the fund and they land the plane. Now, if you're if, if you set a date that's the same as your retirement date, what's the chance you're going to spend all your money on your retirement date? Hmm. I mean, I mean, maybe you're hiring Post Malone to come play some huge party that you're having. You're going to blow your whole wad. Uh, right, right, He's still right around. Away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're probably not spending it all. So my, my, my bigger problem with target date funds in general is you're going to land the plane too soon. Okay. And uh, another personal kind of question that I was, when I started my new job in September, I didn't know how to contribute this properly. So I have a contribution for 401k. And then it says pre-tax 401k. And it wants yeah. me to put a percentage. And then it says Roth 401k. And it wants me to put yes. a percentage. I don't know. How, I literally don't know how to choose that. How do I, how do, I do that? What does that mean? Super easy. Choose Roth 100%. I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing it close to right, but I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> now, you can do both. Let me tell you what these what these are. There's a thing called and this is going to be hard on an audio podcast, but it's but but, but it's the tax triangle. And and uh, and so if you think about a triangle, 
and each corner is a different tax shelter, right? So we'll start off with the corner on the lower right. That corner is where money goes in pre-tax. Mm -hmm. And when you pull it out, let me explain actually what the triangle is. The outside of the triangle is pre-retirement. The inside of the triangle is retirement. We have to pass through one of these three corners of the triangle to get into retirement with our investments. So if we choose, a, choose the tax shelter that's on the right, it's where money goes in pre-tax. And when you pull it out, you're going to pay tax on the gains. You're going to pay it as if it's income when you earn it. What's that? That's your, that's your pre-tax 401k. Now, the nice thing is I get a great tax write-off today, but I've got this ride-along buddy because believe it or not, Ryan, a pre-tax 401k is a joint account. It isn't joint account with you and a friend of yours or a spouse or anybody like that. It's a joint account with you and Uncle Sam because as your money makes money, you're not paying tax until you pull that money out. So instead of paying some tax just on the money you put in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you first put it in, because that money's going to go in after tax, you're paying a lot more tax over time by letting the growth also get taxed later on. Okay. The, the good news is though, you get a tax write off today. So it's a bird in the hand. And a lot of people will tell you, they're like, Hey, I'd rather have the money right now Yeah. to counter that. We go to the top and the top, corner of our, of, of our pyramid money goes in after tax, meaning we're just taking dollars out of our wallet that got taxed when we, you know, payroll tax, right? Mm -hmm, just taking mm -hmm. regular dollars out of our wallet. We stick it in. We don't get any great tax treatment today, but it's going to grow tax-free forever. Now that is the Roth 401k. So the Roth now is completely yours from here on out. Sure. You're going to pay more tax now than you did with the pre-tax, but if tax rates are low, and if you go, if anybody wants to go Google tax rates and see where tax rates are now versus in the past, there's a huge, huge argument to be made for the fact that taxes are going to have to go up. They're going to have to. And even if they don't, they stay the same. You also have this freedom from worry that I'm not having part of my growth go to the government. It's all mine. That, that money's all mine. The third one, by the way, is over on the lower left. And that is money goes in after tax. And then along the way, you got to take out taxes for capital gains or for dividends, interest that gets paid. And then you, you, you take money out and that's just a regular brokerage account, right? Okay. There's going to be a lot of friction as you go. You're going to pay taxes as you go. But the cool thing about that one is that you have flexibility. I don't have to worry about my tax shelter, about these 59 and a half rules, or I don't have to worry about any of those rules. Hey, if I want to sell it today, I can sell it today. I'm just going to pay tax when I go. So there's part of me that, that says, I like all three. And they kind of are better. It's like, you know, peanut butter's great. Jelly's great. But peanut butter and jelly's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like the two, two tastes go great together. This is... Honestly, I'm, I can have you on for another 10 hours. I, mean, I have a few more, <laughs> I have a few more questions for you. And I'm actually going to ask you to come back on because there's way more to dive into. Um, I know you've mentioned a few times financial advisor. One question I have here is what is the difference between a financial advisor and a fiduciary? Oh, a fiduciary is a subset of financial advisors. So a fiduciary is somebody that has to, has to make decisions that they think are in your best interest. Somebody who's not a fiduciary, now there's some new SEC rules, which are, which are much closer to, I'm not gonna do any harm. Meaning this might not be the best, best thing, 
but I'm not going to really screw you over. Um, so, so it's, it's a, it's a best interest rule. Um, you always want to hire advisors that are fiduciaries, but even, but even more than that, even before we get into whether an advisor is technically a fiduciary, that's not the first question that I ask. The first thing that I look at with any advisor is how is this person actually going to help me? What do they bring to the table? And I'll give you an example of what I don't want from advisors. I don't want somebody in my corner who's going to take the stuff away from me and they're going to magically make it all work. And then I come back in six months later and go, hey, money lady, how did we do? I don't want that. I always want advisors who make me smarter. Hmm. So if I'm, if I'm the king, I don't want to abdicate the throne. I want to delegate some of the stuff that I either don't want to do, I don't have licenses to do, or that they've done a billion times and they can see my Achilles heel and they can point out that Achilles heel. A good analogy is being a Detroit guy. I really like how Mary Barra has taken General Motors and kept them relevant, right? Now, some people can argue GM's not the sexiest company. Okay, that's fine. But to keep them relevant in a, in a day when we're talking about Tesla, we're talking about all these cool companies and the fact that GM is still there in the game when they were such a legacy backward company is a real tribute to what Mary does. Now, Mary, as the CEO of her company, is very much like you and me going about our daily living, right? We need we 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 have this goal. Her goal is for her company to continue to do well, but she's surrounded by these people that run all the departments that are smarter about those individual departments than than she is, mm-hmm. and they're always telling her, "Hey, Mary, we're screwing this up. Mary, we're messing this. Mary, here's what I think we really need to do. This is what we need." Mary doesn't come into work one day and go, "Okay, okay I'm going to come back in six months. You guys tell me how we're doing with the car thing." which is what we expect from advisors. Why the hell do I want that? I don't want that. Hmm. I, want, I want somebody who's going to make me smarter, who's going who's gonna to make sure that I do well. So if I hire advisors, I still got to go to the meetings myself. I still got to read the books. I got to listen to the podcast. I got to know what I'm doing. So don't think that an advisor replaces that. I think that's a huge miss, miss thought. I don't know what the, what the particular word is. Conception, but, maybe misconception. Yeah. Misconception. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. There you go. yeah. Nice job. See, we're a team, Ryan. <laughs> I like this. It's, it's, it, it is a huge misconception that, that I'm just going to hand it over to them. No, I got to know as much as I can and they help me go faster. That's, that's, that's the key. Okay. Okay. Um, as we're winding down here, a few more questions. One of them, as I wrote down a long time ago when we first started this about credit cards and you earn points and uh, cash back and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Off, the to- off the top of your head, is there a credit card you're like, this is a good deal? This is the best deal? Assuming you are yeah. financially smart with your money? Sure. Uh, I won't give you one credit card, but I'll give you a baseline. Sure. Which is... Uh, a guy named Nick Clements who started this that magnify money has been our longest sponsor of our show for a long time. I'm, I'm thrilled the fact that they've been a, a sponsor for so long because of the fact that, uh, that I asked them, we, we were a little tiny podcast. They were a little tiny company. Now they're owned by lending tree and oh, our wow. podcast is also much bigger and the relationships continue. But Nick and I, Nick and I would always, whenever we'd see each other at conferences, we go out to lunch, we have these great discussions Nick, Nick has always said 
that if a credit card pays 2% or better, if you can calculate 2% or better, it's a great card. One and a half to two is a decent card. Below one and a half, you can probably do better. Hmm. Now, if you don't pay off your balance in full every single month, forget about rewards because you're, you're, you're more than paying for the rewards with the interest that you're eating. Mm. So first question is, do I pay my, my balance off every month? Yes, I do. And if I do, then how do those reward programs work? And if I could find 2%, that's great. I'll tell you, then there's other types of cards uh, that are affinity things. And this will be specific to the thing that you like. And that's a little bit different calculation, but, but I, I love traveling. I, I love traveling. You're going to name the cards I got. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so my cards are always around getting as many miles as I can. Yep. And, and for me, it, it has to be airline specific because I live in a little town, Texarkana. So for me, it's an American Airlines card. I hate okay. American Airlines, but I'm stuck with American Airlines card. The, uh, the other thing that I do because I fly a lot is that I have a card that has a fairly high annual fee. Uh, but it also gives me points faster because I pay the annual fee mm. and I get access to the lounges, uh, which I very, very much like. Okay. Uh, absolutely like those. Once again, for a lot of people, probably not worth it. Back in the day when I was looking for 85 cents, <laughs> probably didn't want that credit card. Exactly. At all. Yeah, I actually own um, the Southwest Visa card and I own the Delta platinum card from American Express. And it's one of those things where I got them for specific trips and I'm going to keep them for the time being. I can see myself getting rid of one at some point, but um, it's also, I love traveling and the older I get, the more it's like the life experiences that matter to me. And it encourages me when I log in and I see, oh, I got so many miles or I have so many points. Let's plan a trip. And then I'm happy to have the car because I can afford the trip. I have a good experience and then it's worth it to me. So yes. Yeah. Well, 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 with Southwest, let me ask you about that because a lot of my friends play the companion uh, uh, fair game, right? Uh, do you get the companion pass? I I do not get the companion pass. I don't think I go that much. Yeah. Um, what was really nice was, I'll tell you a little story with Southwest is they stopped allowing this is um, so years ago, I got it because I had to go to my friend's wedding in uh, Mexico and they just bought AirTran and we can fly to Mexico. If we got the car and I was like, all right, cool. I can't afford, I'm not making much. I, I can really use the free trip. So I got that. And uh, I believe that was the, um, the premier card. I think it was at the time. And that the annual fee is like 149. So they all have an annual fee. Of course, sure. you get yeah. points in the anniversary date. And then I would say probably um, I start racking up some points. I use it here and there. And I probably had about 50, 60,000 points. I was like, I'm doing pretty well here. And then you can also get the card that was the tier underneath it. That was $99 a year. And you can sign up (laughs) when you sign up, it's, you get 60,000 points. I was like, yeah. So I did and I combined them and I just, bam, got like 140,000 points like overnight and i got two cards right now i mean i use one card purely for all my travel expenses so i know what i paid on my trip and i use the other one for day to day and uh i've been flying for free three four times a year for the last handful of years and uh planning a trip right now to go to montana um i have a I have a friend who you may, may like, and, uh, and may want to have on the show. His name is Chris Hutchinson. 
name is Chris Hutchins. He's got a great show called All the Hacks. Yes, and, uh, I want him. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> and and I'll tell you, Chris travels everywhere for free. He spends way more time than I do on points and and arbitrage games. And he will he 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 will bore me to tears, dude. I okay. love this because I want one. I fly for free a lot, but I want to know how to stay for free. So yes. I would I would love that too for sure. Yes. He is Chris has gone all over the world and he's got a great podcast. In fact, he was just on Tim Ferriss's podcast interviewing oh, man. interviewing Tim. Yeah, about podcast. Put the put the word in if you could. I, I would love I'll, to have him. I'll make an introduction as soon as we're done because you guys I, get along great. I would love that. Yeah, I actually got um the Delta Amex card to go to Iceland five years ago, five or six years ago. And uh, it turns out like my dad and I ended up getting a package deal with included airfare. So I kept it and I still have it. I have not spent any of it. And I'm just, now I'm waiting for New Zealand to open up. I don't know if they're <laughs> open up yet, but I want to go to New Zealand. I'm flying New Zealand for free. And so um, I'm actually getting married in September and I really, All right. love, I'd love that for the, be my honeymoon. I'm just, cool. Uh, I would love that. I'm just saving it up. And, uh, I know she'd be game for that, but, um, you know, speaking of, I'm going to let you go shortly. I know I've kept, kept you a long time here. <laughs> it's all right. But, um, it's a fun way to, for me to end my day. This is awesome. And I will gladly have you back on soon. One thing I would love to have you back on is talking about combining finances and perhaps oh, yeah. some tips and tricks, how to do that. We sure. don't have to go into that. That's a huge road. But uh, yeah. one thing we are talking about is she's probably going to be moving in here in the next few months. And it's like, oh, think of all the money we're saving. Yeah, we're splitting the mortgage. We're splitting this. And it's just like, okay, so let's just say we're each saving, quote unquote, $1,000 each. About how much would you say to be like, okay, all that $1,000 that you're now going to keep, you should be putting this much back into investing. What would, what would your suggestion be? You know exactly, Ryan, where I'm going to go with this. I do. <laughs> is it you you together sit down with that sheet of paper and you map out your goals mm -hmm. and then you go right back to that to that sheet of paper what's the goals we now have because it's not me it's not her it's us and um and i'll tell you that marriages are about communication i mean they're totally about communication cheryl mm -hmm. and i used to early in our marriage we'd fight a lot about money and it was because of the fact that that we would both do what we thought was really important for the family. And we do it at the same time. And cash flow was still really tight then. We were getting our financial house in order, getting our act together. And I'll give you an example. Um, like she would come home with school clothes for our young twins, right? She'd come home with a few hundred dollars worth of school clothes. I'd come home with the latest video game, both very important to the family, <laughs> incredibly important. And we didn't have money for both. And uh, what's funny is, is people think that budgets are about spreadsheets, that they're about, um, you know, having the latest app on your phone, whatever it is. For us, it was about having a 20 minute meeting every week that we have. And it's either over wine or pancakes, depending on the time of day. And this is all we do. All we do is we look at what we spent the last week, look at what we're spending the next week. And we're done, except for twice a year, we'll look at our investments. But what we found was like, we changed our cell phone package. We got rid of our cable. We, we, when we actively looked at all of our expenses together and the fights went away hmm. because at the time, and this was, this was before streaming. So this is an old guy story, but remember when you go into the, go into the grocery store and uh, at the, the end cap, there was always the latest movie that you could buy for 20 bucks. Yeah. 
but, but you could also go down to the local video store and rent it right. and it would drive me crazy. And she'd go, you're buying a board game or a video game. You don't need that. I'm like, you don't need that. So I've got stuff that she doesn't understand. She has stuff that I don't understand. And once we had that weekly meeting, we also gave each other some grace and, and we created an allowance system for a while. We don't have the allowance system anymore. We just, we've been married for a long time and she brings home something and I, it's what, it's what makes her happy. I bring home what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. More than that though, we have these discussions all the time and, okay. and the, the discussions are great. So yeah, there is no real number. I mean, there is, there is no number until yeah. you know what the goal is. Like Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey, that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. When I read that book, like I didn't think, I remember that book came out and I didn't think it was that big a deal. But I quote that book all the time. Mm. So it turns out that that was a huge deal. But this idea, begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind, just works. Start with what do the two of us want? Draw a line to today. And how do I do today what's going to get me what I want later on i mean that's the that's that that's the magic i think the first thing you got to do is almost like change your mindset where it's like you're thinking for two not for one anymore which is uh that's just i i i mean it's clicked but it hasn't click clicked yet like what's our goal not my goal i I have exactly you have to think that way and it's uh it's gonna be unusual the thing i just keep thinking about is like when uh august comes around and i put in uh, a few hundred bucks into fantasy football like, where's that money coming from? Right. And when she goes to the spot day, right. gets her facials and yes. all that stuff, where's that money coming from? But, well, uh, hey, and, you know what? And for those new marriages, I that's why I really like the allowance system. Because mm-hmm. you know what? She's got to have her fun. You got to have exactly. your fun. You exactly. guys have been single for a long time. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, man, if I got to be accountable for every dollar all the time. You know, people often ask about, um, about you know, do you combine checkbooks? And, and, and Cheryl and I don't, we, we, we look at all the expenses, but we keep separate checkbooks because we're busy people. Mm. And, and I don't have, you know, Cheryl will be at work doing whatever she's doing. And I can't call her in the middle of the day and go, Hey, you know, I got this thing we need to spend money on. I just do it. And then we talk about it at the weekly meeting. This is awesome. I I don't know if you're up for it, but I would love to have you back on in the future. To Sounds like talk fun, about brother. It. I would yeah. love this. I want to give you more of a chance as we wrap up here to kind of talk about you. And uh, I want to talk about, I'm really truly curious. You probably have somewhat of a big fish story, don't you? Like, is there like a stock or is there something where you're like, oh yeah, I hit on this. I put money into oh. this and 20 years ago. Do you have one of those stories where you're like, yeah. Uh, uh, I prefer to tell my dumbass stories. <laughs> okay. And so it started off as a big fish and I messed it up. Oh no. So, so in the early days when satellite radio was first coming out, I thought I've been a radio fan forever, which is why I like being a podcaster. And, uh, and I was super, ex- I was so excited about satellite radio. And then it came out and it was a little expensive and mm. being a money geek and having run into trouble with money before I thought about it and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I spent like two or three years thinking about it. And finally I pulled the trigger and I loved it. And then one day I thought, you know, I know these companies have tons of debt, but more and more people are going to be using satellite radio. Like I, like I know this, and this is before, you know, uh, Howard Stern Mm -hmm. got on board and Martha Stewart and all these celebrities. But anyway, so I bought shares in XM radio and, and I bought the shares off the top of my head now for about 
$4 a share. And uh, it went up to $35 a share. Wow. And it was amazing. And I thought, you know what I got to do? I got to take some money off the table. Like going from four to 35, that's horrible. But I like the technology. And I thought, well, okay, you know, XM has a lot of debt. Sirius has a lot of debt. Well, here's what I'm going to do. But, but I still like the technology. So I sold half of my XM and I bought Sirius <laughs> because I was sure that the technology wouldn't go out of style. And then, uh, yeah, and then XM and Sirius merged. And then I was right back where, oh my where God. I thought, and the shares went back to like $14 a share. Oh and, man. Yeah. But oh. anyway, yes. Yeah. That, that was one, th that was a decision that was so dumb. It was so dumb. I thought, what, what, why did I stay in the same industry? Like I should have gone with a concurrent with a different industry, something that has, you know, about the same level of risk, but in a different industry. Mm. Well, we yeah. all have those stories. I certainly do. I won't yeah. get into mine. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I do know, um, scrolling through your Instagram, you're doing a tour, right? Talk more about yes. the tour. Yeah. Let's yeah. So uh, yeah, we're doing a tour for the book to go meet stackers, as we call them, all over the country. Our show's live from my mom's half finished basement. So it's a chance for me to get out of the basement. Awesome. And mom's, mom's happy that I'm going. Uh, for, for a few months, <laughs> we, we had to delay it because of COVID, but mm -hmm. I'll be leaving to go on tour on uh, 42 cities. We start March 1st. I'll be, I'll be in Dallas, March 1st, March 2nd. I'll be in Austin. The third I'll be in Houston. Then I fly to San Francisco and we'll hit San Francisco, San Diego, LA, Portland, and Seattle on the West coast before we fly to Miami and then Miami, Tampa, Atlanta, Charlotte, um, and then, uh, yeah, hitting most of the United States. It's going to be fun. It's going to take about four and a half months, but come out and see us. We're going to be mostly at microbreweries. Uh, sometimes we're partnering with libraries. Bookstores are pretty understaffed right now, as a lot of companies are. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're not, we're not leaning on bookstores like we normally would. But our, you know, Stacking Benjamins is such a relaxed microbrew kind of brand anyway. Awesome. That it's going to be fun. We've got these T-shirts that look like heavy metal heavy metal aging rocker t-shirts that are hilarious. Uh, and I'll be signing books and we'll do a little thing. Oh, my goal in every city, because I've been, I've had the podcast for a decade is to have some of the big financial influencers in that area come because they're friends of mine now. And so not only will you meet me in whatever city you're at, you'll meet people that are local that are, that are some of the money guru people that are local there. So this is so cool. Stackybenjamins.com slash stacked uh, to see when I'm coming to your city. And are you, are you going to Raleigh? Cause you said Charlotte, are you coming to yes. Raleigh? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I Raleigh. When, what day? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, well, I don't have it open, uh, because there's 42 different, it's funny <laughs> I expect you to know that off the top of your head. I know people ask me that all the time. And you know, there's a lot of financial people uh, in, uh, in, in Raleigh. And that now, uh, I, yeah, I, I go to Charlotte the day before, and then the day after I'm in Norfolk, Virginia beach. And in Norfolk, I'm actually, uh, partnering with a, with the local library, but in, in Raleigh, I think, and I don't know the name of the brewery we're talking to right now, but hold on. Uh, I just had it and I'm going to Raleigh. I'll be Raleigh Durham, uh, the 22nd, March 22nd. I will be there then. 
Awesome, I, dude. I will definitely be there then. It's a, this is a good brewery town. Charlotte is a really big one in Carolina. Asheville is a really big one, and Raleigh's getting there now. And my fiance loves to go to breweries. We'll bring the we'll bring the dogs, and we'll come meet you. Perfect. And, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you for I wanted a book signed. It would be more to me if I buy the book and I bring it to you and have you sign it in person. I think that yeah. would be awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for doing that. And and in every town, we're going to have some available there too. So awesome. people just want to pick pick one up there they can do it there or buy it online and bring it buy it at the local bookstore because you know those places like powell's where the idea for this book came about those places are disappearing and we need to keep them around because they're yeah, great no, places agree. to get inspired so i agree this is wonderful i'm going to meet you in person in a couple of months then this it's is gonna be fun cool. i can't wait super cool yeah i'm excited i'll yes. keep tabs on your website to see where exactly where it's at and um yeah i was just uh as we wrap up What's going on with you in the, in the near future besides the tour? Where can people find you? Let's hear the good yes. stuff. Yes, you'll find me every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at the Stacky Benjamin Show, um, which we call the greatest money show on earth because it's a circus and it truly is a circus. We try to do um, we, we try to do a lot of different things in an hour and have some fun. We have our TikTok minute where we look at some of the bizarre crap people say on TikTok and make fun of it. <laughs> We, we, we have a headline of something that's going on and what do you really need to think about it? And then we'll have some of the best minds in money. We started off 2022 with Ramit Sadie. If you're familiar with, I Ramit. am familiar with him. Yeah. Yep. It's awesome. So, Ramit was our first guest. And then Erin Sky Kelly is equally cool. She actually works with Tony Robbins. She's on tour with Tony Robbins right now, wow. teaching people how to get out of debt. So uh, coming up next in two weeks, is my favorite book so far this year. And it's a book called a uh, balancing act and it's written by the, the, the gentleman, Daniel Lamar, who was the longtime CEO of Cirque du Soleil. And wow. we're talking about how we're talking about where creativity meets, meets, um, meets your life, you know, and how to add more creativity to your life to get more for yourself. So this Stacky Benjamin's it's always different always different. And it makes it fun. You know, finances, I feel like it could, you know, give people anxiety, um, you know, paralysis by analysis and, you know, you guys have fun with it. And I ran into your Instagram and I was like, this is why, this is exactly why I asked you to be on. You made it fun. We all got stories to share and you made it relatable too, which is always well, great. Well, now that you've known me for a couple hours, Ryan, what you really know is I'm just entertaining me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm asking questions for myself. <laughs> and I'm bringing you along for the ride, right? Yeah, no, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is this is super awesome. And Joe, like I said, I'm definitely 100% asking you back on. I'll meet you in cool. person. And uh, I know you said you wanted to uh, connect me with those people. I would love to have them on too. I, yeah, I, let's do that. I, I'm a curious mind. And uh, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. But uh, Joe, this has been super, super beneficial. I guarantee everybody that listened to this, or just they learned. Everyone learned. This is this was incredible. And that's great. This is, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, what is more, besides health, maybe, what is more important to learn about than your money and what to do with it. You know, it's, it's just, that's super important. It's the second biggest new year's resolution every year. You know, the first one is health and wellness diet, yeah. that type of thing, working out health. I, I kind of put those as one yeah. and then money's always number two. Yeah. And yep. they, they always say like, um, finances is the number one reason that people get divorced yes. and everything too, you know? So that's yes. why, that's another reason why I want to have that conversation is make sure we handle everything properly. We got everything on a, on a smooth path. And like you said, talk about it for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then you don't think about it. You know, you just live life. And, yeah. You know? do, and keep it light. 
I yeah. mean, keep it 20 minutes. We like 20 minutes because we keep it light. And I'll tell you what happens is we have those organic conversations then all week just because we did it. Mm. Like we'll have deep conversations, but it's never during that meeting, mm. you know, but we have the deep conversations later because we did that meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like one, one leads to the next one. So this is awesome. Yeah. We'll touch on that later. Awesome, but Joe, man. I've kept yeah, cool. flying off. I appreciate it. Awesome chatting. And uh, I'll catch you soon. Okay. Tell me, when are you going to post this? When are you going to post the? Um, probably what was today? Yeah, today um, to, to, today's the uh, sixth. Six. I will probably shoot for let's say probably the eleventh. In my guess, this would be Tuesday. Okay. Well, just let Gertrude know because she's our social media maven. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and she will publicize the shit out of it. So. This that's freaking yes. awesome because what I'll end yes. up doing is I'll post it and I'll post Instagram clips of our highlights of our conversation oh, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So I'll tag you in all of them. I'll make sure she has all of them. Tell Gertrude I said hello. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. And Joe and Joe, thank you so much. Have an Standard amazing, trouble, Ryan. amazing night and it's been wonderful. Thank you so yeah. much. Be good, my friend. Bye-bye. You too. Bye, Joe. Joe, once again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I truly loved this. I have been waiting to do a podcast like this since I started nearly two years ago. So to have you on and to accomplish all of that was amazing. Thank you so much. And I will 100% asking you to be coming back on for even more information. And everybody listening to this episode, thank you as well. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. And there will be more amazing episodes on the way of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Catch you all in the next episode.